0: And so uh, speak to us tonight. I thank you for those who are here again tonight to make the effort to come out when it's dark and um, when it's um, winter. And and so, Lord, we want to be fed by you. We want to be encouraged and instructed, and that's what we uh, desire. So bless this time as we study your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are getting closer to Christmas, and it is that time of the year with Thanksgiving and Christmas um, that oftentimes we find ourselves with those that we care about uh, and, and family members, uh, maybe coworkers, workers uh, friends, uh, whoever it might be, that, um, again, they may not be believers. And, and maybe uh, you're going to find yourself being with, particularly with family members, or maybe a Christmas gathering at work. Um, whatever it might be, uh, that they're not believers, they're in rebellion against God. And sometimes that's difficult, but I want us to be encouraged tonight because that's also time for us to be a light to them as well. And what we see here is that um, as we learn from chapter 30, and one of the main underlying uh, applications that we can make is that it's never too late for somebody to turn to the Lord. You see, sometimes we can look at an individual or uh, we look at certain uh, people and we think there's so much into the world, there's so much uh, rebellion that they have towards God that it seems like they'll never get saved, it seems like they'll never turn to the Lord but we need to keep praying for them and not stop because it's never too late um, for anyone to come to Jesus, to turn from their sins, to yield to him, to be touched by the Lord. So we want to keep that in mind because what can happen is we can think they're so far gone that I'm just going to stop praying for them or we're not as sensitive about uh, lifting them up to the Lord. So we want to, to be encouraged to do that. And here in our text tonight... As you know, that as we have seen going through Second Chronicles, that the house of Judah has gone through a very, very difficult time. Uh, they just had a king named Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, that brought all kinds of idol worship and false worship and occultic kinds of uh, practices into Judah. He was one of the worst kings that Judah had. And he was one that was in total rebellion against the Lord. And we know that the Lord tried to... to Ministered to Ahaz, tried to draw him to himself, tried to get Ahaz to repent. We talked about that quite extensively in our previous studies, but Ahaz refused. And so what happened is the house of Judah was going through some very, very difficult times uh, because of their rebellion. Um, We know that uh, it was the house of Israel and the house of Syria that came against Judah, and many people were killed, many were taken off into captivity. We also know that um, they tried to come against Judah. They wanted to come against Jerusalem in that they wanted to kill Ahaz and set up their own king because what was happening at this time uh, in history when Ahaz was reigning in about 730 B.C., we see that the Assyrians are flexing their muscle. They're the new powerhouse of the region. And they're beginning to make their way southward towards Syria and uh, and beginning to conquer cities and nations. And so what the house of, of Israel is wanting to do and the house of Syria or the nation of Syria is to get a three-way alliance so they can try to re- withstand the advancement of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were brutal. Uh, they would torture you. They would wipe you out. They, they had no mercy whatsoever. And when they took you into captivity, what they did is, is they put fish hooks in your mouth and they drug you off. So at this time, Ahaz, he's making you know alliances with the king of Assyria, uh, continued in rebellion. We know that the Edomites and the Philistines would raise, uh, rise up, and they would come against Judah. And, and it was just a terrible, terrible time in their history. Well, in about 722 B.C., we know that the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, and you see First and second chronicles is only dealing with the kings of judah there 's really not a whole lot of mention in some side notes concerning the House of Israel, but the House of Israel at that time, the ten northern tribes, they go off into captivity. By the Assyrians, and not all of them go off into captivity. That's one of the things to remember. Is we're going to see here, and we know that the Assyrians begin to send their people down into Samaria into that area, and begin to intermarry with the Jews, and and um, and begin to come into the land. So Judah is next, and here is Hezekiah. He comes on the scene, the son of Ahaz, and he's a godly king. And we began to look at him last week, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And the first thing that he did is he made priority the spiritual health of the nation. He began to to restore the temple. Uh, it was Ahaz that closed the doors of the temple, the house of the Lord. He put in idols all over the place. There was trash and garbage all over. So what Hezekiah does in his first month, right away, he doesn't wait, is that he begins this restoration of temple worship and the temple itself. Uh, sanctifying the priests, cleansing the temple, so it's all ready for uh, worship, and um, and that's what they do. Hezekiah restores the temple worship when everything's uh, cleaned up. The uh, implements are ready to go. The priests and the Levites are sanctified, and he was a very godly king. So here is Hezekiah, probably the best king next to David in Judah. And as we read in chapter 30, let's begin to read it uh, of Second Chronicles verse 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim, Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. So again, the ten northern tribes have been taken off into captivity, but as we know here from verse 1, not all of them were taken. Ephraim, Manasseh is, is um, is uh, mentioned here. And Ephraim sometimes is used as an overall term of the house of Israel. So not all of them were taken into captivity. Some of them escaped. Some of them were left behind. And the reason that I mention that is because sometimes you'll run into those who say, well, the lost tribes of Israel. When the ten northern tribes were taken off, they were lost. They never came back. And, and, um, and so they'll begin to base doctrine on, on that thought. They never came back like what you see with Judah. There was never a return like what you see with the house of Judah. You see, in a few weeks we're going to end, Second Chronicles, with Babylon coming in and taking the house of Judah off in the captivity, and they would be in captivity for seventy years. And then they're going to come back, there's going to be a return. As Cyrus, the king of the Medo Persians, is going to make that decree, okay, you guys can go back to Jerusalem, and the first thing that they're going to do under the rule of Zerubbabel, um, is they're going to rebuild the temple. But the 10 northern tribes, there wasn't a decree for them to come back. But some of them were still in the land. And, and I never lo- liked that term, the lost tribes of Israel, because, first of all, God knows where they are. And, um, and they're listed here. And we're going to see that some of the other tribes are listed. Matter of fact we're going to see, you do see in Luke's gospel concerning the birth of Jesus that uh, one of the stories that is told after Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus, to the temple there in Luke chapter 2 that there was Anna who was from the uh, tribe of Asher that's listed there. So, um, you know, not all of them were taken off into captivity. As I mentioned, some of the Assyrians came down, intermarried with the Jews there in Samaria, and their offsprings were known as the Samaritans. So when you go to the gospel narratives, you read about the Samaritans, don't you? Matter of fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus is at Jacob's well, and he begins to talk to this Samaritan woman about living water. And the Samaritans, this history for 700 years that started in, in, at this time that we're reading in 2 Chronicles, up until the time of Jesus, there was not good relations between the Samaritans and the Jews. Uh, there was a lot of prejudice. Uh, there was a lot of hatred between them. And the Samaritans in that area, in the middle part of the country, because In Jesus' day, uh, the nation was divided up in the three parts, Galilee, Samaria, and then Judea down south. And they avoided each other, the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't like each other. There was a lot of prejudice, unfortunately. So the Samaritan woman, you might recall in John chapter 4, that she turns to Jesus and say, how is it that you being a Jew are talking to me, a Samaritan woman, since we have no dealings with each other? But Jesus cared for her, and and revival would come through that area Area of Samaria. And we also know that Jesus talked to her about living water. You see, the Samaritans weren't allowed to come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. The Samaritans had their own belief system. They didn't believe all of the Old Testament they had their own temple there in Samaria. And recall that she said to Jesus that we worship on this mountain. You say, uh, you Jews, that you're to worship uh, in Jerusalem. That's the only place. And, um, And Jesus would respond by saying that the Father is looking for those who are going to worship in spirit and truth. So that's kind of the history behind all that. So when you go to the Gospels and you read about the Samaritans, and of course Jesus told some parables concerning Samaritans, that you understand that they are the offsprings of when Assyria came in at this time to, took the ten northern tribes off away way into captivity but some of them intermarried with the Jews and they settled there in the land but some of the Jews are still there. So here is um, Hezekiah that he's writing a note to them. Another reason that I don't like the term the lost tribes of Israel because it makes it seem like you know uh-oh God's going where did they go what happened They're going through a very, very difficult time. And I don't want any of us to think that when we go through affliction and go through difficult times that God is going, okay, what happened to Jeff? Where is he? He's going through a hard time. Maybe you feel like you're being held in captivity because of circumstances or in bondage of some sort. God sees you, and he knows where you're at, and he hears your cries And he loves you and his promises are true for you. He knows exactly where you are at. And so here were these guys, a letter written to them. And again, that they had been in rebellion. None of the kings of Israel were good kings. They were terrible kings. And so um, here is um, this invitation, Hezekiah, for them to come to Judah to celebrate Passover. It's never too late to get right with God. And that's what I was saying. Here is, you know, um, Hezekiah, he could have very easily have said, well, you know, those guys went into co- captivity. They're done for. They've been in rebellion all those years. They didn't turn to the Lord. They got what they deserved. But he cared enough to write a letter to them and encourage them. Now, it's still time for you to get right with God, to, to repent. And it's never too late to give that invitation to somebody to get right with God. So be sensitive to the leading of the Lord this Christmas season as you're with those who are in rebellion against the Lord. That you look at their lives and and there hasn't been any fruit. There hasn't been any response to the Lord. Make sure that you keep praying for them. You keep ministering to them. And you keep loving them. And giving that invitation for them to turn to the Lord. Well, they're going to come and they're going to celebrate Passover. And and let's continue in verse 2. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not been consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together in Jerusalem. So this revival, these reforms uh, that are taking place, is happening uh, very, very quickly And um, so they want to celebrate Passover. Now, you know what Passover is. According to Exodus chapter 12, you remember, as the children of Israel, they're in Egypt. And the plagues come upon Egypt. And the tenth plague we see was um, that the Jews were told to take a lamb. And um, the Lord told them that in the first month, that is, of Nisan, and this is the beginning of your years. Take a lamb on the 10th day and put it and observe that lamb till the 14th of Nisan. And then that lamb was to be uh, slaughtered. Was to, uh, they were to take the blood from that lamb, put it on the doorposts and the lentils of their homes, which, by the way, made a cross. And then as the death angel passed by in that 10th plague, seeing the blood of the lamb there on the doorpost, it would actually pass by, thus the name Passover. And the Egyptians who didn't have that, you know, um, the application of the blood, that their firstborn ended up dying in that plague. And then they would leave Egypt very hastily, very quickly after that. It was Pharaoh that said, you need to go. You guys get out of here. And then what followed Passover uh, from the 14th to the 21st of the month was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they were to celebrate Passover every year, is what the Lord told them, but very seldom did they ever celebrate the Passover. And we're going to see the statement is made here that uh, they did not. We can read that as verse 4, And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. And they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come and keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. So it hadn't been done for years and years and years. And here is Hezekiah that he wants to honor the Lord. We need to celebrate Passover. We've gotten away from the Lord. And they have to do it, though, as you recall, that it says here um, that they had to do it in the second month is when they have to do it. Uh, They couldn't keep it at the, the regular time. You see, according to Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, they were to observe the Passover in the month of Nisan. But then, as you go in the verses 6 through 14 of Numbers chapter 9, they could move the Passover to the second month under certain circumstances, such as what we see here, because the priests were not ceremonially uh, ready and prepared. So, here they could do it in the second month, which they're going to have to do, because things are happening So quickly here, um, this revival, and wanting to keep the Passover. They're not quite ready to keep it in the first month, as verse 2 says, but they're going to keep it in the second month. And then we read in verse 6 now, chapter 30, Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. "'Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. "'Then he will return to the remnant of you "'who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. "'And do not be like your fathers and your brethren "'who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, "'so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. "'Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, "'but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, "'which he has sanctified forever and served the Lord your God.' that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Verse 9 we read, uh, For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn his face from you if you return to him." So here is this call for all of Israel. Notice in verse 5, from Beersheba to Dan. We've seen that term before, particularly in, uh, as we we're looking at the reign of David, that encompasses all of Israel. Beersheba to the south in Judah, Dan clear up north at the base of Mount Hermon where the headwaters of the Jordan rivers are. So all the runners were to go out, verse 6, and to you know, tell the people in all of Israel and Judah that hey, come to the you know celebrate the the Passover. Um, the children of Israel will return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You need to turn back to the Lord um, and and come in and celebrate with us. Here in Jerusalem. Now you remember when the ten northern tribes broke away uh, there after you know, the reign of Solomon. There was Rehoboam that became king. And it was Solomon's son that told the people that I'm going to really make it hard for you guys. So that's when the ten northern tribes broke away. And Jeroboam became their first king. And Jeroboam, because he did not want the people, the house of Israel, those ten northern tribes to come to Judah to worship there. At Jerusalem, at the temple, Solomon's temple, he set up two places of false worship. One was in Dan, way up north, and one was in Bethel, dedicated to the golden calf. And so what Hezekiah is doing here is that he's saying, you guys need to come back to Jerusalem, come to, to the prescribed place of worship. We need to celebrate. You need to turn away from that which is false and come to the Lord. as The mercy of grace is still available to whoever turns to him. And they sent the runners out, and I like that. And, and what that gives a picture of is simply those that were going out from Beersheba all throughout the land, giving this invitation and as you think about I like that term runner because they were doing it quickly and they were doing it with urgency. You see, you and I are called really to be runners in a way. That we are to, to the people that are linked to us in our lives, family members, coworkers, those we go to school with, whoever it might be, to be able to give the good news that the mercy and grace of God is available through Jesus Christ who went to a cross and died for you. Turn away from the world; the world is not your hope, and turn to Jesus, who gives us a living hope, as Peter writes in his epistle, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are we runners? And there's a sense of urgency. I know that we just don't go in and you know and and um, you know take the gospel and try to ram it down people's throats. But Lord, give me the opportunity. Open up the doors, Lord. I want to be sensitive to your leading that I need to be a light to others to give that message that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. You see, Exodus chapter 12 is a beautiful picture as Jesus would come into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan as they celebrated Passover. The perfect lamb of God without spot or blemish. And then he went to the cross on the 14th of Nisan. The lamb of God that was slaughtered for you and for me and shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of sin. And you see, as we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, that is, as we come in faith, as we trust in Him and look to Him, then you see, death doesn't affect us. It passes over us, if you would, and eternal life is promised to you and to me. It's a beautiful picture, that Passover lamb of the Old Testament, of the Passover lamb of Jesus Christ that would come and die for you and for me once and for all. And so here is that message, come to Jerusalem, worship, and we are to be messengers as well with urgency to tell others. And so it was here again that we see that Hezekiah, that he he knew that the, the northern tribes were really going through great affliction, and he presses them to repent so that you'll be restored. I think that all of us, we know people who don't have a relationship with the Lord, who are not walking with the Lord, they are going through such affliction and sorrow and sadness and defeat in their lives. And they're looking for, you know, what the answer is in so many different things and in the world, and they're not going to find it. That Jesus would cry out in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, Jesus is the one that's going to fulfill us and satisfy us ultimately. He would say also that in John chapter you know, 6 that I'm the bread of life. Come eat of me and whoever eats of me and drinks of me will never hunger and thirst again. He's saying believe in me. Turn to me. I'm the bread of life. And we want to give people the bread of life don't we? We want to tell them about what Jesus has done for them and, and how God wants to bless them and And give them not only life, but that life abundantly. What does that mean? That life abundantly means that life of blessing and joy and gladness of heart. And that's what they're going to experience here as they're going to celebrate Passover. They're going to be worshiping the Lord. And there's no true joy or peace or goodwill, those things that are talked about at this time of the year without a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is found in Him and closeness with Him and deep fellowship with Him. He is your satisfaction. And if you go after the things of the world and continue to pursue them, you're going to be thirsty and hungry all the time. So here is that message given. And we who know those in captivity and in need, we can give that message to them to turn to the Lord, the one who came um, and the one who died for them. So we continue in verse 10. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim, Manasseh, as far as Zebulon. But they laughed at them and, and mocked them. And nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, Zebulon, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders uh, at the word of the Lord. The tragedy of a rebellious heart as a lot of them did mock and laugh at God's invitation of grace and mercy. And there are those today that do the same thing, those that we share with. We continue to pray for them. We continue to share with them opportunity that we have um, about the Lord. And we continue to to just have, um, just being sensitive and having compassion towards them. But there were some that responded to uh, the invitation to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And I like what it says here in verse 12. It says that God's hand was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command that was given to them, to come and celebrate the Lord. The singleness of heart. There was a singleness of heart that was there. And what my hope and prayer for you and your family as we are in this Christmas season, as we're going to enter into a new year, that th- there would be a singleness of heart. And what I pray for this church family, that there continue to be a singleness of heart as the Lord's hand is on us. And, and the Lord's hand is on us. The Lord has done so many wonderful things. And and I was writing an article for the newsletter uh, for um, Chess that's going to go out to all the families, and um, and I was talking about what we discussed and studied on Thanksgiving Eve in First Chronicles chapter sixteen when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and he wrote a song of thanksgiving, didn't he, to give it to Asaph? And he would write that um, how he would give thanks to the Lord and and we need to declare his marvelous works and uh, his mighty deeds. And I think that you and I that we all have something. To declare, Jesus has saved us, hasn't he? He's forgiven us. He's made us a new creature in Christ. Regeneration has taken place. The Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. Oh, we can declare that to others. And we can uh, talk of his marvelous works of salvation and forgiveness, but also how He has blessed us in our lives as well, how he's provided for us. And so we want to be able to do that. But I think about in this last year how the Lord has been so faithful to us as a church and and all the things that have taken place. People getting saved, you know, responding to Jesus Christ in the services as we give that invitation. Um, We've seen... Um, new families. We've seen people being raised up to do the work of the ministry. Um, We've seen, you know, again, chess come under our wings and and more families that are a part of this ministry and the kids, all the kids that are here on Wednesdays when we do have those classes that are taking place. Um, All the different things. uh, uh, Jim... Going out and, and planting a new church and birth it. Um, it's evidence that God's hand is on us and God is working. And it's not striving, it's not straining, it's not having committee meetings trying to figure out what is it that we do. It's simply a group of people that love the Lord, that are praying, that are, you know, growing in the Word of God, that are sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And Lord, what is it that you want us to do? And also, it comes with a congregation that has a singleness of heart. I think about the radio program on Grace FM, so much to talk about. And it's wonderful to sit back and watch God working in his hand on us. And what my prayer is, is that we enter into the new year, that we are in anticipation of what God wants to continue to do and that we would have a singleness of heart. That we would say, yes, Lord, you want to work. And this is good. And what you're doing, and it's obvious that you're working in this way and you're blessing in this way. And that was something that Paul prayed concerning the church of Philippi, you recall, in that epistle in chapter 1, verse 27, that he would say to them that you may stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So my hope and prayer is, is that we would do that. Stand fast in one spirit in one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I think that that was a great study that we finished up, the book of Acts, um, where we saw that God was moving mightily through the Christians. And what was the Christians and all about and the church all about? We see it modeled there in the book of Acts. It wasn't slick programs. It, it wasn't, you know, demographic studies. It, it wasn't striving and straining, as I've mentioned. But it was people praying And people that had the boldness to share the gospel. And even as we saw in 1 Thessalonians last week, that Paul commended those young Christians there in Thessalonica that are being persecuted, that you've sounded forth the gospel in all of Achaia and Macedonia. You're known for that. And they were standing fast in the Lord. And then they're going to be commended for their love. And that's why Paul's writing to them. And he says, oh, I long to see you again. Because they were a very special church to Paul the Apostle. And you guys are very special to me because I see the hand of the Lord working through you and growing you. And coming out on cold nights, on Wednesday nights, and going through the Old Testament. And I believe that the Lord is just beginning. That he wants to do so much. That he desires to use you and your family. That he desires to use this church to sound forth the gospel to a world and to a community um, that needs to hear it. So here was the singleness of heart that was taking place. In verse 13, as we continue reading, Now many people, uh, a very great assembly, uh, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. So as I mentioned to you, as you read Exodus chapter 12, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There was Passover, and then a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And because they had to leave so quickly, they, they had to leave. They couldn't put leaven into their bread, so they to have it raised. They had to just go. But there also was that feast that they were to celebrate. And in Exodus chapter 12, they were told that when you celebrate this Feast of Unleavened Bread, you take all the leaven out of your homes. It is not to be in any of your houses. You're not to eat bread with leaven in it. And we know as we go to the New Testament that leaven speaks of sin, doesn't it? It speaks of evil. You recall when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church that as he was writing about immorality that was in the church, he says you need to purge out the leaven. And don't you know that a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump? In other words, if there's sin in the camp, Joshua, you need to deal with it. Remember that in the book of Joshua? Because it's going to affect the whole camp. And Paul says there's a leaven that is there and you need to purge it out or it's going to you know, uh, get rid of it or it's going to purge and spread throughout the whole church. And so we need to, as Christians and in our homes, that again my hope and prayer is, is that we would purge out the leaven, that we would purge it out of our own lives because there's so much of it that is around and it spreads. It is so hard these days. I mean, there's so much darkness, and, um, and there's so much uh, wickedness, and there's so much depravity that's all around us and can easily come into our homes by way of whatever's on the TV, by way of whatever it is that you can watch, and, and um, you know, whatever it is that you can pull up on the computers, all those things touch of a button, click of a button. And what I hope and praise, we say, we want to purge that leaven out. That we don't want to be looking on things that is not pleasing to the Lord. That we don't want that to be spreading in our hearts and in our minds. And so here was the Feast of Unleavened Bread that they were to celebrate. And um, and it had real meaning. And it has meaning for us as we make application as well. Verse fourteen: They rose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. And so, what they were doing is, um, you know, getting rid of all those altars that were either unauthorized altars to God, because they were to worship and sacrifice just at the temple, or those altars that were still places of worship to false gods. We got to remember that Ahaz had false you know, altars and all throughout the land, all throughout Jerusalem. So they throw them in the book Kidron, which is between where the temple was and then the Mount of Olives. There's the book, Brook book uh, Kidron that they're uh, burning them in and uh, casting them into the Kidron. And verse 15, they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were shamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place according to their custom, according to the law of Moses. The man of God, the priest, sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. And so they prepared for the Passover by getting ready the altars, as I mentioned and as we read. And as the people are coming in, many of the people were ceremonially unclean when they came to Jerusalem, and so there's kind of a problem here. And how is it that they they solve this problem? How is it that they're able to to um, celebrate the Passover? Well, verse eighteen, a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Issachar, and Zebulun—that's all there, the house of Israel up north—had not cleansed themselves yet. They ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. I believe that there's something important for us to consider in these verses 18 through 20. That here they were, ceremonially they were unclean. And there is a problem. They're wanting to celebrate Passover, and it's already the second month. And here they come, and they're eating the Passover lamb. You see, if you go to uh, Jerusalem today and you go to some of the excavations, uh, what they have found recently is uh, under the steps, the southern steps of the temple. And some of you have seen this uh, as we've taken our trips to Israel on that study tour but there were large pools that were underneath there. And as the people would come for Passover, they would have to be ceremonially clean. And they would go and they would wash. And usually it was the head of the house, the father, that would do that for the family. And then they would, um, you know, slay the Passover lamb. And then they would partake of Passover, uh, the family would. But there was that washing that would take place. They, here they didn't have that. They didn't have time for that. They were ceremonially unclean. And so what Hezekiah does is he says, as he prays to the Lord, Lord, see their hearts as they prepare their hearts. And the Lord saw their hearts, and he honored it. He honored it. Because the people were wanting to come and return to the Lord and worship the Lord. Outwardly, maybe they were not considered clean, but inwardly they had a heart for the Lord. And God honored the hearts that they had. You see, God sees our hearts. And we see that all throughout the scripture. You remember when it was Saul that was rejected there in 1 Samuel. He was rejected as being the first king of Israel. And you, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and anoint the new king of Israel. So that's what he did. And Eliab, the eldest son, came before Samuel. And there's Samuel saying, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord said, Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance. For I don't see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward, but I look at the heart. You're looking at the outward appearance. And it would be all the sons of Jesse that would pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, none of these are the next king of Israel. Do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, the youngest. He's out with the sheep, small and ruddy. Go and get him. Go and get this young boy who is about 13 years old. His name is David. And as David came in, that shepherd boy, it was Samuel that said, there he is, the man after God's own heart. We know that it was the religious leaders, remember, and in Matthew's Gospel, and they were all upset at Jesus' disciples. Why don't they wash, you know, uh, like we do and keep the traditions of the elders like we do before they eat? And it wasn't that the, the Pharisees were all upset because the disciples were eating their food without washing their hands, but they weren't washing them in the prescribed manner according to their traditions to be considered ceremonially clean. And so the Pharisees, who were so dedicated to trying to keep the most minute details of the law, they had all these extra laws about how they wash in a particular way, in their pots and their pans, and all this. And if you don't do it this way, then you're not clean. And it was Jesus, you remember, that he got upset at them. And he rebuked them, and he said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth, because what comes out of your mouth shows the abundance of the heart. In other words, I see the heart... And later on, he would rebuke those religious leaders, those Pharisees, and he would say, woe to you because you're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you're all beautiful, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. The Lord sees the heart, and that's what he wants. He wants our hearts. And once he has our hearts, then the other things will begin to take care of itself. You see, there are those, particularly those who are very much involved in legalism and, and outward appearance and dress and your hair length and all of that, and I've talked to a few that they really believe that the if you have the outward that is right in a certain way, then it's going to affect the inward part of you. It's backwards. It's inwardly that the Lord desires to change. He sees the heart. He changes the heart. And then the outward stuff will take care of itself. But we know that the Lord desires for us to give us his hearts. That's what he's interested in. And it reminds me so much of, you know, the the Calvary Chapel magazine that you guys got Um, of the last issue and we got some more because not all of you got them a tribute to Pastor Chuck Smith and how he ministered there in the 60s and in the early 70s Uh, the Jesus movement coming out of that where he was ministering to the hippies they had left their homes and come from all over the country and flooded into Southern California they're on the beaches and they were homeless and they were barefooted and they were on drugs and and people stayed away from them and Kay and Chuck Smith Smith began to minister to them and pray for them and out of that came that revival teaching them the word of God and they were getting saved and it was called the Jesus movement and their hearts were being changed and some of them that you hear their testimony many of them some of those coming out of that movement are pastoring some of the largest churches in the world And they have touched the whole world with their ministries. And at one time coming and you read their stories and it's absolutely incredible. And what I hope and pray for us is remember that the Lord sees the heart and he wants to change the heart. And I hope and pray that we would minister in that way. You remember that there's a story in the Gospels about a, a man that was up in the Galilee region and, and he couldn't see, so Jesus, he, he touched his eyes and he said, can you see? And he, sees, he says to Jesus, I see men like trees walking. So Jesus had to touch him again. And then he was able to see clearly. And I've pondered that. And, you know, there are those who have even said and suggested Jesus made a mistake it's the only time that Jesus had to touch somebody a second time to bring healing as recorded in the gospel narratives. But here's the thing. Jesus never made a mistake. And I think that it's recorded by the Holy Spirit there to show us something because, you see, we were blind at one time, and now we see the testimony of that blind man in John chapter 9. But then as the Lord touches us and we can see Sometimes we don't always see things clearly, do we? And we look at people. And we want to just kind of be critical and judgmental and, and all of this and come down on them. We live in a society where we love to be critical. Always have to have an opinion. And that can affect us because we listen to it all day long. And I know for me, but oftentimes I have to say, Lord, touch me again so I can see people clearly the way that you see them. And that's something that we need to always remember. The Lord desires to change a heart and bring regeneration to a heart. And that's what the Lord cares about. And that's the primary work of the Lord, changing men's heart. So here was this heart that that the Lord saw and, and the Lord would um, honor that because he who prepares, verse 19, again, is hard to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. In verse 21, So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness, and the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord and um, they ate throughout the feast seven days offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And so as we notice that the gathering it had three components here that number one in verse 21, there was worship. They praised the Lord day by day singing to the Lord. Number two, they were taught the word. Verse 22, they taught, were taught the good knowledge of the Word. Listen, we need to continue in the Word of God. It's so very critical in our Christian lives for growth and for maturity. For parents, for you to be able to minister to your children, you've got to know the Word of God and be discerning and encourage them to know the Word of God. And that's why we place such a heavy emphasis of the teaching of the Word of God here at Calvary Chapel. You're not going to get a lot of fluff. You're not going to get entertainment you're not going to get any of those things we're going to come in we're going to worship the lord we're going to sing to the lord praise him and then we're going to learn the word of god because we need the word of god in our lives to grow mature and be discerning and if you don't know the word of god you're going to be all messed up and mixed up in your thinking and in your you know uh looking at life because there's a lot of voices that are out there you guys have been around here long enough. Know my my thought on that. We've got to grow, and the Word of God is so very important. And then thirdly, as we see in verse um, twenty-two, that they had fellowship. They ate together, a sign of fellowship. And Jesus, you recall in Revelation chapter three, said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens their heart, I will come in and dine with him. Fellowship with him, and him with me. Fellowship first of all with the Lord. A deep personal." Intimate fellowship and closeness with the Lord, talk with Him. It is important that you have a prayer life and devotion time. That you're seeking Him, preparing your heart before Him, and in fellowship with one another, brothers and sisters, that will encourage you in the Lord. In verse 23, the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep. And the leaders gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. And a great number of priests sanctified themselves. And the whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Also the priests and the Levites, all the assembly that came from Israel, the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those who dwelt at Judah. So there was a great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. And then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. couple things. They extend their celebration. There was gladness and great joy. That's the result of those who, first of all, are worshipers, Second of all, learning of the Word of God. Thirdly, have a deep fellowship with the Lord and with other brothers and sisters. The result is you're going to have a gladness of heart and you're going to have great joy in your heart. I think if I was asked every single one here, do you want gladness of heart? Do you want joy? Yes, I do. So here's how you have it. It's no secret. You stay close to the Lord, you learn of the Lord, and you worship the Lord. And there will be such joy and gladness in your heart And you'll have a heart of thanksgiving. Second of all, as we read the last statement here of the chapter, that the prayers came up to his holy dwelling place in heaven. God hears you. And I am so thankful that we have a God that hears us and loves us. And maybe tonight you're here. And maybe as we close in prayer here tonight, because we don't have time to go into chapter 31 as we close, that maybe there's some things that the Lord is dealing with you. It's not too late to turn to him, to give those things to him, to confess it, to repent of those things. And again, repenting is a very liberating word. To be able to come to Jesus and say, I trust in you, I put away my sin, and Lord, I want to just be close to you. Because you see, it breaks that, that, that closeness with him. That, that closeness that we desire because there's carnality or sin. And so to give it up and confess it and say, Lord, here I am. He sees your heart. He honors that. But tonight, maybe you're just going through a rough season and it's going to be a rough Christmas, you feel, that you pray to him and he hears you and he sees you and he loves you. So, Father, we thank you so much for this lesson that we've had. Lord, to be able to go over this chapter And Father, I do pray that uh, we here, that, um, oh Lord, we just thank you for what Jesus did in coming and dying on the cross for us, that he is our only hope. And so Lord, what my prayer is, is that if there is anybody here tonight, that you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Now, today is the day of salvation and the invitation is being given. Jesus loves you. And he came to this world as we celebrate at Christmas because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And by chance, if there is anybody here or out there in a the coffee shop, that's something you've never really done if you've never really settled it with the Lord, turn to him and surrender your heart to him and come in faith in what he has done for you and dying on the cross and knowing that he's alive because he rose from the grave. Give your life to Jesus right now. You pray right where you are. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God who died for me. And I am a sinner in need of you. Forgiveness. Forgive me of my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive, knocking on the door of my heart. Now I let you in. And Lord, I surrender my life to you right now. My life is not my own. Be my personal Lord and Savior because you are the Son of God who conquered sin and death. And thank you for dying for me, Jesus, and hearing my prayer. And for all of us, Lord, that we would have a closeness with you, if there's any leaven in our life, any sin or carnality, that we would give it to you. Lord, because you see it and you want so, oh, so much for our lives. If there's anything that you know that the Lord is just speaking to you about, give it to Him. Confess it. And ask for help. Help. Receive his mercy and grace and forgiveness tonight. Don't continue down the road of carnality of sin because you're going to find yourself in bondage just like the children of Israel did because of their disobedience. And Lord, may we just experience your love. Lord, you see our hearts. May we have hearts towards you. And Lord, may we always be praying for the family members and the co-workers and the neighbors and others that we know about Jesus. Knowing that it's never too late to give an invitation. And Lord, it's never too late for them to turn as long as they're on this earth we want to do it with urgency because we know that it's appointed once for men to die and then the judgment will come. So we don't want to lose that compassion and heart for people. We want to give them an invitation to come and take it the bread of life.